You are listening to a Heartland podcast. This episode is in English. The world-famous designer, provocateur and activist Vivian Westwood gave a talk at Heartland 2019 with the question, how to save the world from self-destruction. For almost 50 years, Vivian Westwood has been one of the most prominent characters in the international fashion world from the punk and biker-inspired period of the 70s to the characteristic 80s pirate collection to today's more experimental activist style focusing on sustainability. As the first talk headliner ever in Heartland history, she engaged in a direct conversation with the audience without a partner or moderator in the talk tent. Please enjoy this episode of Heartland Podcast. Morning. I have a feeling I keep saying I'm very excited about the next talk, but I am truly excited about this next talk. A unique uh, chance for you to meet Vivian Westwood and to discuss very serious matters about the future of our species. Fashion icon, burning activist, cultural entrepreneur, I'm just going to leave the stage to Vivian Westwood. Give her a warm welcome. I am. Um, I am Vivian Westwood. I'm a fashion designer and an activist, and they both help each other. They're not separate at all. I do a lot of graphics. Um, I want to say before, I want to say first, seven billion people don't know we are an endangered species. Seven billion people don't know why we are an endangered species. I know why. And I have the, I can tell you, I've analyzed the problem and the solution. You don't know why yet, okay? <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I designed a set of playing cards. I'd done so many graphics in my time that I just thought I'm going to put them on a set of playing cards. And lo and behold, when I had done that, I realized that it was a complete strategy to save the world from climate change the human race from mass extinction, and also the world from financial crash, okay? Because they all go together. And so um, that, that's what I did, and I'm going to talk about these playing cards. Now then, I have got some notes, and I just want to refer to them sometimes. Let me get them, sorry. Oh, yeah, okay, just in case. Now then, so. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that point finished. And, um, and um, it's also, it demonstrates my history as well. And I'm going to start with me impersonating Margaret Thatcher. Right. Because... I think that's what I should be doing. I'm awfully sorry. Wait a second. Um, nervous, aren't I? Very nervous. 
Okay, yeah, because what I, what I want to talk about is the problem. <laughs> because Margaret Thatcher is just about the most respected icon of the rotten financial system. <laughs> And the rotten financial system is the problem. It's, I call it rot dollar. R-O-T, and then the S, I make it into a, for system, I make it into a dollar sign. But what we're talking about is free market capitalism. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. You need, cap uh, there's, you need capital if you want to run a business. But the problem is, free market capitalism is out of control. And she is the politician. Economics and politics are the same thing. Whoever controls the economics controls the politics. Whoever controls the politics controls the economics. And she was a person who the the economy was already in a dive because rot dollar is programmed to self-destruct, to destroy the world and to take us with it. And what she did, she really completely let it become out of control completely, so that it started to really nosedive, okay? And so, um, yeah, so that, that's what, what she did, and, and we're in the process of that nosedive now. And hopefully, there still is hope. Anyway, so that's Margaret Thatcher. I'll just tell you how I impersonated her, because Margaret Thatcher is a hypocrite. This is in the 80s, I think I did this. And it, this was on the cover of Tatler magazine. And the editor, Emma Soames, she, what happened is that it was on the cover of Tatler and it was also on great billboards as people came in from Heathrow or wherever to the London Fashion Week. And so they saw this thing on there. To me, I, I couldn't recognize the difference between me and Margaret Thatcher when I looked at it. And, and she got the sack and I never asked her why, but I, th I do believe that was the reason. She was a brilliant editor, and probably that was the final straw in her not representing the true interests of Tatler magazine. But anyway, so the photographer, Michael Roberts, this woman is a hypocrite, and I just thought, there's the child, poor little darling thing, and it's really sick, and it's in the hospital bed. There's the television camera. Says, I'm going to show the world how much I care for this child. So I started to look at the camera in this way. <clears throat> and the photographer started to go crazy, jumping all around and everything. And then he said to me, you've just got to put a tiny little doubt in your mind. Am I being believed? And then you'll get it. And that's what I did. Anyway, so that's how I got that look of Margaret Thatcher. And the hypocrite, you know, I know a hypocrite. I know a dreadful hypocrite, I'm afraid. Um, and um, he, he does secretly know that he's a hypocrite. And that is why they are so, what, you dare to challenge me? Who are you? You know, I mean, but at the bottom of it all is really, the hypocrite who's not secure at all, really. He never will admit it to his dying day, but he does know it. And, and, and um, she did know it, that she was is this hypocrite. Anyway, a monster who did more destruction, probably, than Trump's done yet. I don't really know, you know, okay? So, you can't change the system until you change the president or the people in charge, because like I said, politics and economics go together. 
and the problem is the economic system, rot dollar. Now then, I did a fashion show recently, and it'd be really good if you could watch it, and you just have to look on my website, climaterevolution.co.uk. It's actually called homo loquax, the thing, because I think we are man the speaker more than man the thinker. And um, I think all animals are intelligent and, and think, but what makes us different from all other species is language. That's how we pin everything down. Everything has to start from language. Okay, so it was called Homo loquax, but the main point of it was to try to get over the problem, which is rock dollar. The system is... Um, diving because of rot dollar. Rot dollar is the system to why we are all going to die. Okay. Now then, so, next point probably is, let me just see what it is. Can we change the thing, please? Oh no, I don't need to change it yet. I was going to tell you about punk rock. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I was a punk back in the 70s. And, in fact, myself and my boyfriend, Malcolm McLaren, invented it. We designed clothes, and we had it in a little shop in King's Road, and our customers, including our Saturday boy, formed a group called the Sex Pistols. And so, um, yeah, and, and we really were rebels. Now, the hippies had informed my generation. They had politicized us. The Vietnam War, it was a peace movement. But we didn't want those same rulers still in charge after the Vietnam War. They were the same people still in charge, the ones who'd actually engineered and caused the Vietnam War were still in charge. These people who work only out of their own self-interest and they, you know, they create war. They created the Vietnam War. The reason the Vietnam War happened is because America wanted the most populated area in the world for cheap labor, Indonesia. They did not want another model in that area of the world to counter um, the superiority of capitalism. And so that's, and they actually physically created that war. They actually divided the country physically by making people migrate from north to south. And it's just absolutely dreadful. And I think, you know, that photo, I think all activists are motivated by the fact that they cannot stand suffering. That is what motivated me. It's not only me, anybody who's an activist. They care about the world, they care about suffering, they want to make the world a better place. And that image of a little Vietnamese man, all skinny, kneeling on the floor, like, like on the floor, and a soldier who had to shoot him, in the street like that. I mean, and so, you know, what we were saying with punk rock was to those people, the Thatchers, the Bushes, the people, the press who support them, the whole establishment. We were anti-establishment. And what we were saying is that um, you're the fascists, and that's why they wore, we wore swastikas. It's not us, it's you that's the fascist. What is more gross? What is more S&M? That's why we use pornography. What is more S&M than that act that you performed there? Who are the torturers in this world? Who are the killers? It's you, okay? And that's what we did. Anyway, and I invented the anarchy sign. We don't need those leaders. And so the look of punk was, and it was the look of an urban gorilla that we had 
We had <laughs> um, bondage, which looked military, S&M, it looked military. We combined that with the look of the bikers, leather jackets, lots of zips, chains, do your own graphics, put them on the back of your jacket, put them on your T-shirt, put them on your skin. And um, anyway, so, so that's what punk rock was all about. And, and um, it was violent. It really was. I mean, the, the look of it was violent. I had the spiky hair anyway. I love the spiky hair. Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyway, um, and what happened was that punk rock, one month after the explosion, we created it in that little shop, 430 Kings Road, which is still my little shop. It's called World's End now. And we, 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 um, we put it in that, uh, so we designed it and we opened that shop at the same time as, we, as the Sex Pistols launched. And it just created an explosion. And within a month, my spiky hair was on the cover of Vogue magazine. And uh, within and quite shortly after, also on Paris catwalks. And I'd never thought of myself as a designer until then, but I thought, you better wake up, you're a designer, you better do a new collection and be a designer. Because to me, the marketing opportunity was that the establishment had hijacked punk. They loved it. You know, they had their token rebels. We are a free society. It was a marketing opportunity. We can have rebels in our country. Okay, well, I didn't want to be any more any one of those rebels. And so my idea was um, that the only subversion to the establishment is culture. The establishment, rot dollar, is run on consumption. Um, and so, can we have the next image, please? Oh, he's done it, great, okay. Okay, because what that means is that, um, wait a minute, what does it mean? It means that, I'd like to look at my notes because I've got it exactly. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that the, um, the playing cards, there are four cards in a pack of, they call the suite of cards in the pack of cards. You have diamonds for money, that's rot dollar. You have clubs for war and you have spades for the earth wreckers. You know, the big cartels, the great big monopolies, the, the supermarkets, the food business. The, the press, by the way, are part of these cartels. And the press are controlled by the system. They've always got a newspaper in their portfolio these great big cartels, and of course the oil companies. And so um, the hearts stand for culture and also love. And so what this card is, is um, standing for is I love the establishment. So I'm going to say that again. I love, I love the, what this card stands for, it stands for consumption. And it stands for, I love the establishment because the establishment gives me all this stuff and, and it makes my life so comfortable, I don't have to think. Um, right, now then, they do my thinking for me. And so, what it means is that you love the person who is killing you. It's very sadomasochistic. 
you love your killer, you love your persecutor, because they've made it really, really easy for you to do that. If we are going to save the world, we have to live differently. We cannot do that. When people ask me, what can we do? That's what I answer. You know, I'm doing what I can. I've got the, I've got the, I've got the analysis, what we need to do, and I'm working on it. And you can work on it as much as possible by talking to people about it. But you've also got to start living a different life. For example, think to yourself, maybe, maybe I won't buy another car. You know, maybe I'll manage. Maybe I won't buy a car at all if I haven't got one. You've got to start thinking because the world we live in cannot just live off the next technology all the time, all the time. That's what's killing us. We have to have control. That's what's wrong with capitalism, that we don't have control over, over anything. Right, so I think I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for the next card, please. Thank you. Now then, that is... I've, I've added the wings recently, but that is a self-portrait of me, of course, self-portrait. And it's got spiky hair, it's got my um, Statue of Liberty corset, because it gave you a wonderful feeling. That corset was invented for little boys sometime in 1500, or probably earlier. But anyway, you know, and, and um, so it, was, it hold, hold, holds you. My husband, Andreas, is sitting here. When he came to work with me, he realized that that corset would hold anything. And he created the most incredible dresses where the whole train went half the way down the catwalk because you could hold it, it looked like air. It wasn't hanging off your shoulders, it was held. Anyway, so, and of course, it gave you a bosom that people hadn't seen in years. And by the way, I made it, um, and, and I knew people would like it, something new. Anyway, and, um, and um, so, um, I don't know what I remember what I was going to say there, it doesn't matter. Um, and the other thing is a little mini crinny, which was another fashion look. You see, I am plundering history. When I decided to change into we've got to have culture, not consumption, I decided, first of all, pirates. And that coincided very much with Malcolm and what he was doing with his music, pirating other people's things and, and you know, using it all and messing about. <coughs> anyway, but, um, and so the, the idea of the pirate was that punks would get off their island substitute black for gold. We put gold, tea, gold cigarette paper on our teeth. And um, we changed our spiky hair for ringlets. The idea was that we would plunder the world of history, tradition. You need tradition. Without tradition, it's not possible to create anything. You throw away tradition, you throw away your laboratory, you throw away all your skills, you throw away all the ideas. And that is why I'm not sure about this festival, because if you break tradition, you don't have culture. And the 20th century did break tradition. They smashed the past. And with, when they smashed the past, you smashed the future. Your ideas are gone, you know? So, um, and what I'd say is that we don't have culture now. It's been consumed by culture. They're opposite, they're enemies. And so what happens is that, um, I've forgotten, I lost my train of thought, I'm always doing that. Um, anyway, we maybe come back to, oh yes, wait a minute. Yeah, so how I define culture 
is if poor people, the general public, also respect culture. People go to art galleries, they go to high culture, tradition, opera, they read. I'm a reader. I don't usually read anything later than 100 years old because I can get more ideas from that than what's happening now. Um, and so there are people who do that, but if the general public don't have respect for culture, then, you've got, that's, then you don't have it. China sustained for a couple million years, a couple thousand years, um, because poor as those people were and philosophical about their lifespan, they wouldn't live very long, famine, all these things, but the reason, and it's a t such a shame that the West smashed Chinese culture because we had so much to learn from them. But um, they did, and now the China just copies the West. Um, but anyway, if, if that hadn't happened, China, its culture sustained because those pe poor people respected those hermits who were poets, those painters who were trying to Exp who were trying to communicate with the cosmos through their art. You know, they respected high, high culture. And, and so that's why they, they sustained, because it was an, an, a nation where, which sustained because it was the highest civilization that ever existed. Okay? Now then, so... On these wings of the angel, it says that 50% of the people don't think and that the other half are trying to think. They want to think. And you can, I have calling myself now the angel of democracy. You can't have democracy if at least 50% of the people don't think. In England, this is what happens all the time. You can never... You can never have true progress because you're always held down by people who um, just accept the opinions of the establishment. And on one of those wings, it's got the letters I-O-U. And that stands for Intellectuals Unite. It's not just I-U, it's called i you. I owe you a life. I owe myself a life. You know, get a life. And um, I formed a book club called Intellectuals Unite. What is an intellectual? Somebody who thinks, wait a minute, somebody who reads books and wants to make the world a better place. That is an activist. That is an activist, okay? So, um, I think I'm ready for the next thing. Let me just see. So, can we change, please? Yes. Okay. So, this is me at the finale of the Paralympics, the Paralympics in England in whenever it was. And I launched a website and um, an um, activist thing called Climate Revolution. And I have a friend, Joe Rush, who makes stuff out of, he's an artist, and he makes things out of scrap metal mostly, but all rubbish that he recycles, makes art from it. He was commissioned to provide the final, um, I don't know, the, final, the finale of the Paralympics. And he wanted me on this chariot made out of all these exhaust pipes. And I had to be um, Queen Boudicca, the queen of the ancient Britons. So I painted myself with this blue 
dye they used called woad. And I, my makeup and everything, I covered my, I, I made myself look like the face of war. And I, I covered myself up with a great seven meter length of fabric tied with a string for a cloak. And I wrapped it all around me because on the inside it had applique letters of the word climate revolution. And I avoided two dress rehearsals so they wouldn't see what I was doing. And um, at a certain point, when the cameras were looking at me, I opened up this, this great cope. In fact, I didn't do it. Andreas, with a pole, which was putting a little pocket onto the cloak, and my son, Joe, with another little poke, my warrior um, bodyguard, um, they pushed their, this, this, I let the, I undid the, the string, and the whole thing went up climate revolution on all the video screens around the stadium. It went to billions of people worldwide. It was really, really great. You know, anyway. <laughs> the point I want to make here is that I started this because about a year earlier, I had read an in I was already incredibly distressed about the rate at which they were chopping down the rainforest. And I read an interview by, um, of somebody interviewing James Lovelock. And he said that by he's the most famous scientist, and he said that by his calculations, he thought there would only be one billion people left at the end of this century. And that sent me into a trauma. And I went to, and with my friend Cynthia, I said, we've got to do something, Cynthia. We've got to do something now. And we did, we, we did this website. We said, we've got to start this website. But also, we've got to, the first thing we've got to do is save the rainforest. If you don't save the rainforest, forget it. You know, you've got to save everything as well, or else forget it. The rainforest and everything will go. But if you don't do that, game over, you know? Because the financial system is a game for a few people. Game over. And so, um, we discovered a wonderful um, NGO, a wonderful charity called Cool Earth. And I gave them a million pounds and, um, to, to help them because they hadn't been going for very long. And they had a budget of a hundred million pound only to save the whole rainforest. At that time, I had been talking to the World Bank, who had lots of money and still do. And to this date, I don't think they've saved one tree. So, obvious, so what Cool Earth do is they work with, oh, we should probably change to the, can we change to the next card? Yeah, I just want to explain the, the, the next card. The next card is, we have to save the rainforest. And what that is, is that every fourth breath we breathe comes from the rainforest. That's what that means, okay? I also want to add that there's another card, which I haven't, didn't bother to show, but um, it, it's save the, save the ocean because from the ocean, we probably get two of our breaths, and I have a plan to save the ocean, which I'll talk about later. Um, but anyway, um, so um, what Cool Earth do is that they work with the native people, the indigenous uh, tribes of um, the whole belt of the rainforest, because they're working they're working at the moment where it's most vulnerable on the borders of Peru and also in the Congo and also in 
Papua New Guinea. And in some cases, they're working with the governments, which is really, really great. And the Queen has ab adopted their model, and she's asked the 53 members of the Commonwealth to also save their forest by the same method. And what obviously needs to be done is that the World Bank better give their money to Cool Earth so they can hurry up a bit more or work with them. You know? Okay. <laughs> Right, so I'm ready for the next card, which is, yes. After my trauma of the idea of one billion people left, I did this map. This map comes from a geothermal map published by NASA. It's been on the internet for years. It's public information. It's been used by scientists to create maps of the world of exactly where the devastation and the heat is going to hit first and everything. It's been used for them. I did a very simplified map because if you draw a line level with Paris, below that, it's very clear from the NASA map that below that, the world at five degrees is uninhabitable. And if we go over the tipping point, this is completely inevitable. And above that line, that is supposed to be habitable. habitable. But you will not live for very long there. I mean, the, whatever you die from, you know, if you don't die from that, you're going to die. You know, there'll be no animals there. I don't know, you can be, eat some dead bodies. I've no idea what people would survive on. But you won't survive for very long with the poison that's in the air. Because we're talking about runaway climate change, where all the methane kicks in, and everything just accumulates by what's it called compound interest, which is also to do with how the banks work, but um, <laughs> they just live off the interest. Anyway, but you'll die by methane bomb if you're, if you're still alive. Right, so that is the match of James Lovelon, of, that is the match of James Lovelock's point that by the end of the century there will be only one billion people left. Anyway, so that's that. Now, and so what I'm telling you is, I am the only person who's made this analysis, and the solution I will deal with in a moment, but I'm the only person who's made this analysis. I'm the only person, um, can we have the next card, please? Yeah. I'm the only person who has, who has identified, actually spelt it out, rot dollar is the cause. Everybody knows the financial system is collapsing. Everybody knows that, except the governments deny it. They constantly talk about growth and it's all going to happen eventually. But, you know, then they just keep putting the targets further and further, don't they, all the time, to pretend that they're getting there. The world is run on debt. That is what Margaret Thatcher instigated. She, uh, not instigated, accelerated. And um, that is how Trump is running America. It's like, bring it on, bring it on, create more debt. You know, because what the banks do is that they never want the principal paid back. They live off the interest only. How many times have we heard of a country in Africa who cannot afford to pay back the debt they were forced to borrow and that they give all their resources? They don't have water, but they provide us with lettuce you know, shipped over to the rich part of the world because 
they can only pay back the interest in one form or another. They can never pay back the principal. The banks don't want the principal paid back. You can see this, you know, all these people who live on debt with their cash cards, they do not expect the principal back. But the trick is that on their accounting books, the debt, though it will never be paid back, is counted an asset. And this is what we mean by growth. And at the same time, the investors, bring the investors, we need investors. Let's give all the money to the rich people, take it away from the taxpayer, give it to the rich people, um, because they're the only ones who know how to make money. I want to tell you, I read one statistic uh, which will exp explain everything. I can't believe it's true, but I did read it somewhere, and it said the tar sands in America are sold at 2% of the real value of the extraction. That is being subsidized by the taxpayer. And so the investor can play around with this 2%. And the investors, the way it works is passing the parcel. This, this thing that is valued as lots and lots of money is only worth 2% of its real supposed value. Okay, and so at one point, this is going to crash. And so it's all about passing it on in, uh, so that you're not the one holding the parcel afterwards. It's just a game for investors to play. And the waste that they cause is, part, is, is this. And this is how the financial system works. And so, friends of mine tell me that within 10 years, you know, in 1930, there was this terrible crash in America. But the world recovered. I can't remember how they did it exactly. But... By, by this method of making money out of money. That's what Margaret Thatcher said, we don't need real wealth. What we do is we just keep making money out of money. Real wealth comes from land, and it comes from, um, that's what nature gives us free. It comes from land, and it comes from, um, Human, ingenuity, endeavor, talent, industry. It comes from what human beings do. You know, we take the land, we plant food on it. We can have more people, we can take more land, we can, do, we can go under the land and take out the, the fossil fuels. We can go into the, into the air, which is also what nature gave us free and abuse it completely and use it for propaganda abuse, okay? And, and so we need to come to the next card now, please. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, it doesn't matter. What that one said is what's bad for the, for the planet is bad for the economy. And that is rock dollar. What this one says is, what's good for the planet is good for the economy. What's good for the economy is good for the planet. That's why we have to live differently. And the proposal is, this is the, this is the symbol, the symbol of the new economy, this red graphic here. And it is, one, there are four ones, all pointing to the four corners of the world, actually. But the title of this new economy is One World Rent. And so the ones are for the world turning to the four corners. And it's got a circle inside that represents the world turning. And it's got little points of light around it. And those lights are from an asterisk, because the asterisk is one world. Asterisk means hope. And so this system is called one world rent, but it means one world hope, right? And this system is a fair economy.
And it's based on what nature gives us free cannot be privately owned. And if I would say to you, it, it should belong to everybody, you would all nod your heads in agreement. That's communism. Well, the way I, we are, our solution is that what we are working towards is the world should belong to nobody. It should be held in democratic trust by responsible government, and it should be rented to whoever wants to exploit it. So the way it works is if, for example, you want to buy a house, and then what you have to do is rent a piece of land to build the house. If you want then to become a landlord and let other people live in that house, then they pay you rent, but you continue to pay the rent for the land. So the, what it is that the government does not collect any tax whatsoever. Nobody pays income tax. You keep what you earn. You don't pay VAT. There's no tax whatsoever and except for the use of land. And we call that a rent because it doesn't belong to anybody, really. You just have to rent it from the government. That money goes into the public purse. And that is the principle on which this new tax works. Now then, it's the old land tax. People have been campaigning for this for a long time. But for a long, long time, the land started to be privately owned. The barons took it from the king and they started to own the land. And, you know, and so this has been the history of the world disaster, where you have an unjust society, where just a few people have control, and everybody else gets poorer and poorer and more and more abused because the real wealth does, of the world does not belong to them. to them. Anyway, so that is the principle of it. And it's not just the land tax anymore, it is airwaves. Now then, this is why Brexit is such a crime from the English. Because what we've got to do is, and I call it English because they're the worst. It's not the Scots, it's not the Welsh, it's not the Irish, it's the fucking English. I hate them. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, um, we have to tax the airwaves tax it to start with, at the end it doesn't belong to anybody and it will be a rent, but we have to call it a tax for the moment and we have to tax the land. Apparently Denmark does have a land tax and that is apparently also, according to the people I work with who are trying to implement this land tax, um, that is apparently the reason why you're supposed to be the happiest nation in the world, because you have a more fair distribution of wealth than any other nation. Now, um, so I've come to the end, except, not quite, because I want to tell you what I'm doing. Um, luckily for me, I've been trying to get my message across for ages, and um, you know, as I said, I already did it in a fashion show. Just get this message across. And lucky for me, we have Greta Thunberg and Greta's guys, I call them. The kids that leave school once a month and demonstrate outside Parliament and say, we want governments to stop climate change. Okay? And we have Extinction Rebellion, which is a more adult group of, pe of people doing the same thing. They s stop people going over the bridges, they stop commerce, they put a ship in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, they do fashion shows to stop the planet from 
keeping on the machine of destruction, they stop the planet every so often. The, the, they stop England, London every so often. And, and, um, so, and they are working with the Green Party in England, which is very, very interesting and very encouraging because I just want to use this analogy. What Greta has asked and what Extinction has asked is, governments, we want you to stop climate change. We want you to fulfill your targets. Don't just keep moving them all the time. Actually, meet the targets. The governments can't meet the targets. Even if they wanted to, it's impossible for them because this is the metaphor. If you've got a fire raging, which is what's going on, the world is self-destructing at the moment due to our pressure. If, if you've got a fire raging, you're saying to these, these people, put it out, put water on it, put it out. But at the same time, they're throwing petrol on it. So they can't put it out. Rot Dollar is throwing petrol on the fire. And so, this is what I want to say to Greta and to Extinction Rebellion. You cannot, you, you must operate through government. You must put pressure on government, but you have to be specific. You have to tell them exactly what they have to do. And they won't want to do it, but this is what your job is, you've got to do that. And so either you force governments by being specific to do what you're telling them they've got to do, or even maybe this opposition could build into a party. I don't know. But um, be specific. You've got to say to them, you have got to, first of all, you've got to put a tax on land to start the process. Otherwise, you're not serious at all. You're liars. You're thieves. You're not lying. You're, you're, not, you're not telling the truth. And you've got to do that. But also, stop the subsidy to fossil fuel. It's Globally, it's, it's many, many trillions. I don't know how many, but in the teens of trillions per year is subsidy to fossil fuel companies. You've got to stop the subsidy to um, industrial fishing. Because if you don't do that, within 10 to 30 years, there'll be no fish in the sea. And if you do do it, you'll get the fish back, you'll get the oxygen back in the water, and you'll get the oxygen back in the atmosphere for our very much needed half of our breath. You know, you'll do that. So you've got to be specific. And unless you be specific, we don't have a chance, okay? So... <laughs> now then, I just make one last point, which is that the establishment control, excuse me, sorry, I don't, I'm looking at the distraction. So, okay, sorry, yeah. The, the, the establishment, the one last point, the establishment control the narrative. I want to give you an example. Um, and what I want to say is, I've also got to say another thing, which is, know your enemy, rot dollar. And if you know what rot dollar is, then you can win. If you don't know your enemy, you can never win the battle. You've got to know your enemy to know the strategy. And so, you, what, what um, ex-rebellion and, um, and um, Greta, and the Green Party have got to do. You've got to attack the, the, the narrative on its own basis. 
I'm going to give you an example. That all sounds a bit complicated. I should have said it a bit separately. But first of all, let's deal with the establishment owns the narrative. After the last demonstration of ex-rebellion, on the television, on Sky News, oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a disco, is it? Okay, all right, okay. We're in a disco, okay. Right, now then, so, um, after the last, I get distracted. After the last rebellion, sorry, just start again. I do need to make this point, I'll make it. Um, that there was an interview on Sky Television between the interviewer, Adam, and a man called Simon from Extinction Rebellion. And Simon was there with the interviewer, and the interviewer had the story. He controlled the narrative from beginning to end of the interview. And so what he was saying to um, Simon was, you're a fascist, you look like some spoilt middle-class brat to me, and you are, um, who's going to pay for all this? You are patronizing poor people who can't get to work, you know? And, um, and what Simon was saying is, a million, millions of people are going to die. What I would have said, if I'd been Simon, was, you're the fascist. You, <laughs> you are actually a killer. You're killing people. You've got this rotten system, blah, blah, blah. I would reiterate all the things I'd said. I would say, you are giving subsidies to the, to the fishing industry, to, to industrialized fishing. You are, you are certainly abusing poor people you know, education should be free. All that subsidy should be going to the national health, should be going to the it should be going to the education, um, because pe poor people now have to pay for their own education. They can't afford it, you know, because the way you are running the world is completely for the rich people and not, and not for anybody else. And I would, I, would, I would do that. I think that's it. <laughs> Yes, okay. Do you have a, we, we have time for just a few questions, if you're up for it. Do you want to ask me a question or two? Anybody has the courage? We have people uh, out here with mics. It's only going to be like seven, eight minutes. You have one there? Yeah, there's one there. And please make it uh, short and sweet. Thank you. Have, you. have you thought about, and thank you so much for a wonderful speak, have you thought about giving up fashion? And if we all gave up on fashion, what about the 80% of the women working in the industry? Where should they work? Sorry, I didn't hear the last bit, but I'd, um, I have thought about fashion. Yeah. What, sorry? Have I thought giving uh, up fashion and yeah, what else? And how can they get work outside fashion? Yeah. How can they get work what? Yeah. In how the fashion industry, almost 80% uh, of the ones are women supporting children, giving them education. So if we gave up on the fashion. Sorry, please repeat. Yes. How, how can we uh, give jobs to all the women who will lose their job if fashion is stopped? Oh, okay, all right, well, that's easy. Fashion shouldn't stop, that's the thing. Now then, this T-shirt says buy less. I would like my company 
to be a not-for-profit company at this stage of the game. Um, it's expanded so far, it does, it does not need to expand anymore. Please put your hands down a minute, yeah. It does not need to expand anymore. What you should do is put the money back into the, into the enterprise so that things get a better and better price all the time, more value for money, more quality. That's what you should do. Okay, and then you should have to stop. Now then, buy less, apply, and that's what I'm trying to do. And so I'm trying to do it where any profit I make goes to charity. The profit that I need goes back into the industry to make it absolutely smaller, more quality, more in control. Because if you expand, the more you expand, the more you lose control, the more you sell crap instead of quality. Now then, so buy less. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not finished yet, because what I want to say is that I'm not talking about the high street, you see. I'm talking about competition that is, con that is between fashion, high fashion, and, and with the hope that the high street disappears and we only have those limited companies because high fashion is quality. They care about the fabrics they use much more than the, the stuff in the high street. And, and it's labor intensive. It needs skills. It's highly paid work. And so everything is going to have co to cost more, but it will be real value for money. And of course, in our new world, everybody will be able to afford it because we'll all have money. So, that, so, so to me, that is the fashion business of the future. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> buy less applies to everything. You should buy less of everything. Do you really need the latest technology? You don't need it. You can wait till they get the later than latest technology, can't you? You know, I mean, we cannot keep doing this, just buying stuff because it's, we're bombarded with it, so we want it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, thank you so much. Um, I was just wondering, it's like we're always waiting for the next activist. She has to tell me everything. You, you, yeah. you, you're gone. It's as if... Come here. Are, Sorry, can you come here? You. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'd be most happy. Yeah. Sorry, hello. Thank you so much. Hello. Uh, it's as if we're always waiting for someone else to do the work for us, like have a Vivian Westwood or a Greta Thunberg to do our job. So if you could make an activist out of each and every one in this room, yeah. what would you ask us to do today? Okay, okay, right. We're back to Intellectuals Unite. Intellectuals Unite is not only a physical meeting of clubs, of course it goes onto the social media. And we talk about books and people can join in, so hopefully it spreads. And so it's very simple. A freedom fighter is a person who reads books wants to make the world a better place, goes to art galleries, thinks. That's what you have to do, okay? <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, we have one last question. Hello. No, I just really hope that talking here has been filmed and that um, if it's from the side, I don't know, I'm, I will try to put some kind of text on the, on the internet. But my message is on there all the time. I haven't printed the playing cards yet. I will do, but I'm actually planning an art exhibition to raise money based on the playing cards. I'm probably going to wait for that. But um, anyway, so yeah, I just hope that what I'm doing today got travels travels to other people because we 
we have to build the opposition to um, the people who run the government at the moment. The enemy is rot dollar. The government are its agents. But we have to try to attack rot dollar in every way I say, buy less, all these things you have to do. Okay. Okay. I can't hear if, if she wants to quickly. I'll come up to you. Sorry, is this on? All right. All right. Hello, Vivian. My name is Magnus. First of all, thank you so much for coming and for your incredible uh, presentation. Thank you. Um, you talked about Margaret Thatcher, and I think... Margaret Thatcher, yeah. Yeah, I think that Thatcher said that there is no alternative to capitalism. Um, and not so long ago, there was a big climate march here in Copenhagen. Yeah. And we were all celebrating the big companies for doing the bare minimums. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted if you could elaborate on the people who think that climate change is possible under the frames of capitalism, which, as you said, are the very root cause of this problem. Well, uh, sorry, I, I, think I, I think I have said it. And what I would say is, there is we have no choice between mass extinction and a fair green economy. You know, so, and the other one is an economy that is self-destructing, a, a raging fire that self-destructs. And actually, I find it quite, quite incredible that even one person, even somebody who's been spoon-fed it since birth, could ever believe if you take the money from the poor and give it to the rich, we'll all get rich. I mean, that is just absolute madness, as is demonstrated by the political system we live in. <laughs> Thank you. You have been listening to a Heartland podcast. If you like what you just heard, please share it with your friends. Take care. Until next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.